last week in both the 4 o'clock and the 6 o'clock, we did the first three plagues or the first three bowl judgments. And this week we're going to continue that. Now, one of the things that we said last week about Revelation chapter 16 is that it is in some ways a recapitulation or a rewording or a different way of teaching or a reflection on the plagues that hit Egypt, okay? And the trumpet judgments from Revelation, but also the plagues that hit Egypt. Now, what's interesting about that is the plagues that hit Egypt, there are scholars, and um, some of you, we've talked about this in here, I know, there are scholars that have uh, traced um, what is happening here with what happened in Egypt and the plagues there, and the plagues in Egypt were direct confrontations with Egyptian gods. And so the Egyptians had a a Nile River god, and so turning the Nile River into blood was a direct uh, assault against that god, saying, your god's not real, our god is god. And that god in those ten plagues basically took down the major deities of the Egyptian religion. Well, in some ways, it's not the Egyptian deities, but the Roman and Greek gods were also a part of what was happening here. And so they had this system of trying to figure out the world around them. Now, the truth is, every generation of man has always had a system to try to figure out what's going on around them. Part of the reason, I believe, is because of our natural tendency and desire to control or know what's happening. One of the things that... um, How many of you are familiar with that stress level kind of indicator thing that says if you've moved in the last year, you have this many stress points. They have those indicators, right? One of the things that's always there that, that is the common and the most stressful events in people's lives is uncontrollable change. Things that change that they sense causes their life to be kind of come topsy-turvy or that they can't control it real well. Okay? And so you've got that kind of happening. Well, In the Roman and Greek gods, they had Apollo, who was the god of healing, but also the god of sun. They also had Neptune, who was the god of the sea. And then they had all these kind of river gods. And so as these plagues start to happen, they are directly saying, no matter who you think controls these things, they can't stand up to God. Now here's what I would propose, and I'm going to clarify it by what I mean by it. I think that today it's not a system of gods and goddesses that we look to for the control over the environment we are in. It is instead the sciences that we look to. And I'm not one that thinks that religion and science are in conflict. In fact, I think the only conflict for the religion and science comes from the side of science because as believers in God, we should never be afraid of what they're going to discover about the world. Now, what they hypothesize from their discovery we can debate. But just general discovery shouldn't scare us at all. All truth is God's truth. But there's this idea that we can control things and there's this quest to control things. Uh, even in the uh, things like weather, all right? Do you, do you realize how much more specific weather reports have become? And yet we still can't control the weather, Right? despite the conspiracy theories out there that somebody's controlling the weather, we can't control the weather, right? Let's think about health. 
One of the things that I have an iPad, and on my iPad I have a a newspaper that only comes to the iPad. It's called the Daily, and it's a newspaper built for the iPad. And this morning, the the one of the top stories is called "I Want a New Drug," and it's about science's attempts to control things in our lives. So, if you've got any of these conditions, I'm going to tell you, new drugs on the way. A double chin. There's going to be appeal for that real soon. If you've been thinking about getting Botox, not going to need Botox. You're going to be able to take a pill. All right? They're making a, a new pill. Here's the problem with stomach medication. I don't know if you knew this or not. But problems with stomach medication is that when you ingest medicine, it goes everywhere. Well, they have figured out a way to make it stay in your stomach and be direct. They're in testing. So if you've got stomach issues... You're going to have better. This one got me excited until I read it. They've conquered diabetes. But it's not my diabetes. It's people that are overweight and have developed diabetes. They have a new drug that will mimic gastric bypass surgery. INT777. It's an early stage clinical trials. It's a chemical signal that tells your body to lose weight. To shed the pounds. There's a new, there are new cholesterol medicines coming out. There's a new medicine coming out that will turn on machine-made genetic material into your lungs that will unlock your body's natural defense, defense and you won't have to worry about the common cold anymore. Now here's the thing. God, I think, is up, up and he, he's okay with us doing all that. God's not frightened by that. Oh, no, they've developed a new drug for that. But we were reminded in Revelation 16 that in the end, it ain't going to matter because God's in complete control. And no matter how much we think we can conjure up stuff, we can't control what God controls. Revelation chapter 16, let's look at um, starting in verse 8. We covered the first seven verses last week. We're going to cover the last few of this chapter tonight. Verse 8. This is the fourth angel. Remember the first angel poured out uh, ugly, painful sores on the land? You remember that? Oozing sores? The second angel poured out blood like that of a dead man into the sea, or the sea became like that. The third angel, the rivers and the springs. And so you have to remember that there are people with painful, oozing sores, non-believers, all non-believers, painful, oozing sores. All the oceans are unusable. And the rivers and the streams are unusable. Now let me ask you, what would be the worst possible thing to have in a land with no water? Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. So what's the worst thing you can have? Fire, heat. Now, there's discussion about whether actual fire comes down. For any of us that have ever been in the middle of a 105 degree day, it doesn't have to be fire to be scorching heat. Now, it could be, but oppressive heat is oppressive. First day I ever lived in Fort Worth, Texas, we... we um, unloaded the truck at 7 o'clock in the morning. It was 85 degrees. 
When we got done at 9 o'clock in the morning and got in the house, and we went back and we um, got everything settled, went out to eat, and we got in. And this was one of the, this was several years ago now. Susan and I have been married almost 14 years. So it was almost 14 years ago. It's 14 summers ago. We got in, and Susan's parents, who had helped us move down there, had just gotten a new car with the, the temperature gauge on it. We got in the car, and it said 106. And we went to eat at CeCe's Pizza because when it's 106, that's naturally what you need to eat, just a pizza buffet. It was just We didn't know where we were going, and we found the first place we drove past. I remember stepping out of that CeCe's Pizza when we were done, and it was like I had walked directly into an oven. Now, people say that. It was hot. People down there, you know, people will say, people here would say to me, but it's a dry heat down there. It's 106 degrees. An oven's dry heat too, but it still cooks the food, right? It was oppressive heat. And so what you have here is God kind of pouring that kind of thing out. Searing heat exceeding anything in human experience. All those things that tell you the hottest places on earth, Nothing compared to what is here. It will scorch men so severely that it will see the atmosphere is on fire. The unbearable heat will only amplify the pain of the sores and the pain of the thirst. The heat will melt the polar ice caps, flooding coastal regions. Toxic, nauseous waters of the dead seas that have already been destroyed will be coming. Death, misery, and sorrow will lay in its path. And in response to all that, what do the men do on earth? not just the wind, it's the women too. What do they do? They've blasphemed God. It's a tragic commentary on the depravity of man. Knowing from where these plagues come and from whom these plagues come, they do not repent. Instead, they revile. In chapter 13, verses 1 and 5 through 6, the Antichrist blasphemed the Lord. Well, here his followers follow in the footsteps of their master. So God will send this scorching heat. The next plague comes in verse 10. It says, The fifth angel poured out, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. It's reminiscent of the ninth Egyptian plague, the previous judgments, Worldwide, this one seems to be localized because the lights go out where? It goes out at the throne of the beast and his kingdom, his people, his kingdom. The throne is mentioned 42 times in Revelation. Forty of them are gods. One of them is Satan in chapter 2, and then you have the one here. His kingdom will be full of darkness physically, politically, economically, socially. People will be who have been suffering will be plunged in darkness. Mark 13 says, In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and He will send forth the angels. He will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Painful sores, foul oceans, undrinkable water, intense heat, Worldwide chaos and confusion. 
The world is plunged into unimaginable misery. The Antichrist and his new direction hadn't worked out so well. And we remember, as I mentioned earlier, that at every one of these moments, God is kind of saying to these people and saying to His people in these churches, it doesn't matter what they think they can control, when judgment comes, they can't control what I do. Verse 11 tells us, though, that it's not just darkness on the earth, but defiance by men will follow that. It's the second time they refuse to repent. God of heaven is a reference to Daniel chapter 2, referring to the God who sovereignly destroys the false kingdom of this world and establishes His own universal reign. It's the final reference to mankind's unwillingness to repent. These first five plagues were God's final invitation to repent. Having ignored the Lord's call, unbelieving, sinful humanity is confirmed in its sin. Mercy did not melt their hearts, neither did judgment jolt them out of their wicked ways. In verse 12, he moves on. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of the demons performing miraculous signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, verse 15 says, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes on him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that Hebrew is called Armageddon. So in the sixth one, we see this great river Euphrates. It's mentioned five times in the Bible. Genesis 15, Deuteronomy 1, Joshua 1, Revelation 9, Revelation 16. Now, and just knowing what the Euphrates was, it was, flows 1,800 miles from the slopes of Mount Ararat to the Persian Gulf. It formed the eastern boundary of the land God promised to Israel. It remains the lifeblood of the Fertile Crescent, that area of the world where most scholars who aren't even biblical people say that's where kind of life on earth began. And it says that the kings of the east prepare for battle. They come apparently in political rebellion against the Antichrist or the rabid anti-Semitism against the Jews. In reality, God is leading them to their destruction and their slaughter. There are these three unclean spirits, the unholy trinity. Frogs were unclean animals. They're still not real clean, right? I mean, they just look unclean. They were deceiving spirits performing the miraculous. They deceived the rulers of the world drawing to their death. They believe they are gathering for earthly combat. They will actually be gathering for a combat against a heavenly foe. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in sermon on Sunday morning being unprepared for something. Can you imagine preparing as a high school team for your crosstown rival? When I was in Dyersburg... Our cross, we didn't have a crosstown rival because there was only one school in town. So we had a cross-west Tennessee rival with a school in Jackson called Jackson Northside. Uh, I married a girl from Jackson Northside, and they don't let me back in Dyersburg very much. Uh, 
but we, you know, you, you can you imagine? We I remember when we had Northside Week. It was it was serious business. We were getting ready for Northside. Now this is before the days when high schools were studying. 40 hours of tape for opponents, but we knew them, we were looking for them, and we were ready for them. Now imagine if we had prepared for Northside High School, and out of the locker room come the Tennessee Titans. That had been a little different, right? Well, that's what happens here. They prepare for Northside High School, and out the door comes the spiritual armies of God. Matthew 24 says, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even those who are believers in Christ. Behold, I told you in advance. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that they are ready for Armageddon. Verse 15 is third of seven Beatitudes. Be alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known what time the thief was coming, he would have been on alert. First Thessalonians says, For yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It's the third time it's been said. He watches and keeps. The, the idea here is that we are constantly vigilant, waiting on the Lord. F.F. Bruce says that the, according to the Jewish Mishnah, the capital of the temple in Jerusalem went his rounds of the precincts by night. And if a member of the temple police was caught asleep at his post, his clothes were taken off and burned and he was sent away in disgrace. So the picture is here someone that's supposed to be watching that has fallen asleep on the job and has been stripped naked and his clothes burned and he's sent away in disgrace. If you were a temple guard and you came home Naked, you had, to explain, you had a lot of explaining to do, but most people knew what was going on. They knew you had, you'd fallen asleep at your post. He says, be prepared. We must be ever ready for Him to come again. And then we see that word that has spawned the imagination of Hollywood and Christians and non-Christians since it has been written. Armageddon. It probably means the hill country surrounding Megiddo because the name means Mount Megiddo, but there is no Mount Megiddo. Scholars try to attempt to symbolize it to mean the final throw of all forces of evil by God. There's no reason to, to think it has to be one way or the other. It could be symbolic or it could be literal. The Battle of Megiddo, or where Megiddo is, is one of the most famous battlefields in history. Over 200 battles have been bored there, have been fought there. Napoleon called it the greatest battlefield he had ever seen. Verse 14, though, makes it sound like this battle is actually a campaign. But Armageddon is the focal point. The war to end all wars. You heard that before, right? The war to end all wars didn't end all wars. But there will be a war to end all wars. And then verse 17 and following, God's going to send some remarkable, incredible signs. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumbles, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon, 
the great, and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away from the mountains, fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds. Imagine what that sounds like on your roof. Each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. We hear reports all the time of that there's going to be a big one sometime. The big one's coming. Most of the time it's talked about California, but the big one is coming someday. Researchers are fascinated with doomsday scenarios. Some researchers recently or a little while ago discovered that a big splash near the Canary Islands could have a devastating ripple effect on the eastern seaboard. A study in a geophysical research letter warns that as much as 100 cubic miles of rock perched on a steep volcano in the Canaries off West Africa could someday slide into the Atlantic Ocean. North America would be barraged with building-high tsunami waves. Two years ago, geologist Simon Day warned about ominous cracks and movements along the flank of the Cumbra Viesia volcano. The faults are sure to give way in some future eruption, he says. If they all let go at once, a ten-mile-wide chunk of mountain would crash into the sea. A tsunami specialist working off of that used his computer to simulate the consequences. His analysis, which other tsunami experts say is sound, shows that the mammoth rock slide would raise a wedge of water up to half a mile high. Within nine hours, a dozen or more immense waves as high as 80 feet would bear down on the U.S. East Coast where they might sweep miles inland on low-lying shores like Florida's. It'd be a real mess, somebody said. The thing is, the seafloor shows that this kind of thing has happened over and over again. But the issue is not what happens if one piece of rock slides because God says in the final day, The great city, probably Babylon, is divided. It could be one of three places. Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's the great city in 11.8. Babylon is, is 14.8 and 16.9. And Rome is in 17.18. So it could be one of those three. Whatever it is, it's a major city that's divided. Cities of the nations fell. I mean, can you imagine for a minute if Hong Kong, Beijing, Sydney, Moscow, Paris, Rome, Athens, London, New York, Washington, gone. And the center, the hub goes as well. And at the end of that, what happens to those few that remain? They don't repent. The heaviest hailstone on record weighed two pounds. And this one is how big? A hundred. And the result is the same as before. Men blasphemed God, beaten, bruised, battered, world-destroyed, Men still shake their fist in the face of God and curse His name. It should never surprise us that people are turned against God. Revelation tells us they'll be turned against God till the very last moment. And so when things are going well, it shouldn't surprise us that they think they don't need Him. And when tragedy strikes, it shouldn't surprise us that some think that He's responsible And we shouldn't be surprised that some are defiant in the face of very good evidence. Because even when there's no doubt who's in charge, 
at this moment, they defy him. 